Hey, church. Skip, I love you. Y'all need to catch up to Skip, all right? Be a little more vocal. Uh, it's okay. This is a church. We can be a little lively. It's all right. Um, so uh, how many sing that song, uh, Jesus over everything? Right, like, like you get it? Like Jesus is the Lord of our life. Jesus is over everything in our lives. How many sing that song and your natural reaction is like, uh, really? Or like, I'm having a hard time believing that. Like, like I believe Jesus is over like the church stuff, right? But, but I'm having a hard time uh, that, that Jesus is over every, like every, everything in my life. Like I'm having a hard time with that. How many would say that maybe that is where you are at? Raise your hand. Nobody would say that. All right. We're all better than I think we are. Uh, if you are like that, if you're sitting here going, man, I, Jesus is over, I'm struggling with that concept. Like, I just, I want us to pray for a moment and just lift all those things up in our life that are maybe some difficulties, some struggles that we are going through. Let's lift them up to Jesus and ask Jesus to speak into them and through them, all right? So close your eyes. Think of that thing that, like, that struggle, that thing that's going on in your life right now, that thing that's difficult, that trial, that that struggle, that thing, you're, that sin that you just can't shake, that you're struggling to deal with. Jesus, we, we come to you this morning. And Jesus, these aren't just songs that we just sing because they sound nice. Jesus, these are songs that remind us of the gospel. They remind us, this song in particular, that, that you are Lord of our lives, which means every area, every aspect of our lives, you are Lord over. In Jesus, I want to pray specifically for those areas in our lives that, that maybe we're struggling with that concept. Or we're waiting and asking for you to do something in this area. We want to see your work. Or maybe we're waiting patiently for you to move or for you to reveal what you're up to in any given area. So Jesus, I, I invite you into those spaces in our hearts and our minds that maybe we'd even be ashamed to speak of in front of a whole crowd of people. I invite you into the worry. I invite you into the anxiety. I invite you into the decisions and the work and the family and the relationships. And Jesus, ultimately we give these things to you. Because you are Lord over everything in our life. Even the hard places. And Jesus, we lean on you. We depend on you. We wait on you. In your love, grace, and mercy. Amen. Amen.
So, so Jesus says this thing in Matthew 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. His, his kind of big declaration sermon in the beginning where he kind of flips everything on its head and, and basically says, like, you've heard this rule. Well, how's your heart in that rule? Like, like, it's more about what's going on the inside. It's more about what's happening in your heart. It's more about your motives and how you're thinking about something than it is maybe even the actions that you are doing in your life or not doing. And he, he has this line in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Is it no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men and they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Like this is a declaration by Jesus that, that if you follow Jesus, this is supposed to be what your life is like. Your life is like the light that shines in the darkness and when you go into the darkness, it illuminates what all is going on. And the darkness can't overcome the light. And then he says, you're supposed to be salt in this world. You're supposed to give it flavor. You're supposed to preserve it. You're supposed to be something that's noticeable in this world. So that when others look at you, when others see how you live, guess what? They see Jesus. When was the last time somebody came up to you and said, hey, you, you, there's something different about you. you li- like you're not, it's not you're weird or like, eccentric or anything like that like there's something really different about the way that you're living i I can't quite pin it i can't quite i I don't quite understand it but there is something that's driving you that is different than anybody else that i know when was the last time somebody came up to you and said that i know i'll stop with the convicting questions But this throughout the New Testament is something, throughout the entirety of Scripture, is something that Jesus' people, the people that are following Jesus, are supposed to be marked and identified by. That there is something about people that follow Jesus that is supposed to be different than the rest of culture, than the rest of the world around us. There's something in the way we're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to think differently. We're supposed to behave differently. We're supposed to have different motives for why we do things. And you go, why? Well, so that when people see us, they see Jesus. Like in the end, it's all to glorify him, right? It's not because we're anything special. It's just we're supposed to follow the way, and the way is different than the way of culture. So keep that in your brain. 
We're going to continue on our series of the letters to the churches in Revelation. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 2, sorry. Today we're going to talk about the church of Thyatira. I always mess up on the name. Thyatira. And it's interesting because if you were here last week, we talked about the church, the letter written to the church of Pergamum. And it's interesting because in that letter, you see that that the letter is, is connecting what's happening in culture to Old Testament things. It's, it's basically saying, hey, this that's happening in culture, this that you're being tempted by to, to stumble and fall into instead of following Jesus, like this is nothing new. This is part of the entirety, the entire conversation throughout the Old Testament. This, your struggle right now is the same struggle that the Israelites were going through. And it's the encouragement, the pleading in this letter to take a different path. Because we see what happens when you stumble, when you fall, when you start following the ways of culture rather than following the ways of Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But Pergamum was in this place where they were being seduced by this. And Thyatira was in the place where it was very much steeped in pagan culture of the day. So, Thyatira was a little bit further down the path than Pergamum. Uh, A little bit about Thyatira. It was founded as a military outpost. It was one of the smallest of the seven cities that the letters were written to. And it was a working class city. Uh, There were guilds in the cities. And uh, there's actually historical record that found this is the largest finding of of guild documentation in the whole area. Now, you ask what a guild is. I know. uh, I was wondering too. A guild is a mix between a labor union and a fraternity. So take those two things and put them together. You have the commitment and support of a labor union with the brotherhood and community of a fraternity. Now, this city is built on industry. It's uh, working class, blue collar, Some of the guilds that were there, wool workers, bakers, dyers of purple cloth. Here's a fun fact. In Philippians, when Lydia uh, comes to know Jesus, when Paul uh, evangelizes to Lydia and she comes to know Jesus and then she becomes the leader of a house church, what was her profession? I don't expect anybody to know. Uh, She was was a seller of uh, fabric that was dyed purple. Where did that industry start? Thyatira. little fun fact for you. You can tell your friends later. Uh, stone cutters, bronze smiths that made burnished bronze that ended up looking like a mirror. And it, the list goes on and on and on. And the interesting part is that each one of these guilds that made up this city was represented and they worshipped one of the Greek gods. So each guild had a god that was over them that they would hold regular worship services for that included excessive drinking and adult activities, if you know what I mean. So imagine this city where everyone 
is part of the working class. Everyone has a trade that they are working, probably a family business that they grew up in that they are carrying on. And if you were smart in this city, I, I gotta believe everybody was part of a guild because you had to to be successful in business, right? You need that support. You need that network. So everybody is part of a guild which is dedicated to worshiping a Greek god. Taking part as part of the worship is getting together and drinking until you can't anymore and engaging in adult activities. So imagine being a Jesus follower in this community. You could see the conflict, right? Like sometimes I'm amazed that Christians today complain how hard life is being a Christian in America. Because we have all sorts of examples around the world, active examples around the world, and a whole book full of examples that talk about Christians that lived in a culture much more difficult than ours. So I think we have to ask our a question, what are we doing with that privilege of growing up and living in our culture? What are we doing with it? Because a lot, I think a lot of times we waste it, right? Anyway, back to the text. So being a Christian in this community meant that if you were going to be a successful business person, you would be a part of one of these guilds, which brought immediate conflict because if you are a Christ follower in this city, who do you worship? Jesus. This Sunday school answer. Jesus. But what do you do when you need to be a part of, for the sake of your family and livelihood, you need to be a part of this guild that is worshiping this other God? What do you do? Do you see the conflict? This is the culture that these churches were living in. I would argue that it's something that we as American Christians just catch a glimpse of. Let's read. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. As I'm reading this, from the description that I just gave about the city, Try to keep your eyes open for cultural references that you see in the text. Something like burnished bronze has something is speaking immediately to the culture into one of the, the, most, the largest guilds within the city, the bronzesmiths that made burnished bronze. I know your deeds. Your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you, are, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immor- immorality, but she is unwilling. 
So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do, who do not hold her teaching and have not uh, learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, it will impose any other, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule with them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. Did you get all that? Understand it all perfectly? Good, me too. Uh, So... A couple things in this letter. He starts off Son of God. This is the only letter where they start off Son of God. And this is likely to combat the cultural idea that uh, much of the worship that went on in the city was to the son of Zeus. And so everything in this letter, just like the last letter, is a, is a raising of a cultural thing that's going on and then a counterpoint of the gospel to that cultural thing. All right? So you got to get that in your head. This is a actually very sophisticated, remarkable writing that does both. It talks about the culture and it points back to Scripture. So he's going on, the words of the Son of God who are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is probably a... Uh, Reference to the book of Daniel. I know your deeds, love and faith, your service, perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. In this culture, in this time, there were what they would call oracles. And these oracles would be in the community, and these oracles, you'd go to them for things like uh, answers about the future. Like there were, there were all sorts of things that these oracles did, but you would go to them to uh, have like the future revealed. There would be some deep magic, some dark magic. All this stuff was part of what it meant to be an oracle. And this was rampant throughout the guilds and worshiping of other gods. These oracles were often known uh, to be channeling the god Apollo, the god of the underworld. And so you start to pick up on these references. He is most likely referencing one of those oracles, and he's calling her Jezebel. Why is he calling her Jezebel? Uh, Most likely this is an oracle uh, that was Jewish and became an oracle and became very popular in the area uh, worshiping other gods. So in a sense, saying, I'm a Jewish person, uh, I, part of being a Jewish person is saying it is okay to then go ahead and worship these other gods. So there's this bit of twisting, because if you know about the Jewish faith, this would not, absolutely not, be okay. 
to take on a career that you're summoning the God of Apollo to profit on. And so this is a big part of what this letter is calling out. Apparently there is this local woman who has made her way into the church and is now leading other Christians astray. And John, when he's writing this letter, he calls her Jezebel. Why would he call her Jezebel? Well, who is Jezebel throughout the Old Testament? Is she a hero or a villain? Villain, right? So so Jezebel, in the simplest form, the king of Israel, Ahab, married Jezebel, who was a princess of a people that worshipped Baal and Asherah. Ahab and Jezebel were credited to have enticed Israel into pagan worship of Baal and Asherah and set up, it sets up the struggles for much of the new, or much of the rest of the Old Testament. Asherah worship was centered around the fertility God and sexual promiscuity was one of the hallmarks of what it meant to worship Asherah. And here John is saying, look, there's this person that I'm going to call Jezebel. So this person is doing the same thing in the church as Jezebel did back throughout the Old Testament history. Many theologians would say that if Ahab and Jezebel never married, Israel wouldn't have such a struggle with pagan worship throughout the Old Testament. Jezebel was the beginning of Israel being enticed away from their father. And so John is now writing. He's saying, hey, there's this this woman named, who I'm going to call Jezebel. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I love the grace in this next line. Hey, I've given her some time to repent. I love that. Like, I've given her time to repent. She's had her opportunity. She's not repenting. Now here's where the judgment comes, right? I will strike her children dead. She will suffer. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray each of you for according to your deeds. This is direct quote from Jeremiah chapter 17. He then continues. To him who overcomes and, and does my will to the end, I will give authority to the nations. He will rule with them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. This is also a reference back to Jeremiah. And I received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. So so much of these letters to the churches are simply lists. Hey, here's what you're doing well. Here's what I like about this church. Here's what I like about the Christians in this community. Here's what you're doing well. Here's where you are letting culture uh, drift you away from following Jesus. 
along with acknowledging that especially in these communities, it's very, very, very difficult to follow Jesus and live in the culture. Some of you may experience this difficulty if you work or are employed by a company that may do some questionable things, right? Or just have this attitude like it's all about money, it's all about the bottom line, nothing else matters. Or they make questionable moves, or they're not great with people, maybe they're oppressive. Maybe some of you have this experience where you're like, my employer treats people horribly. Like, it's a struggle for me to follow Jesus and keep working at this company. And these letters are saying, this is part of the culture. This is what you're up against. These are things that are popular in the culture. And it's urging the church, stay true to following Jesus. Don't forsake your first love. Don't allow yourself to drift under the enormous pressure and temptation that is going on in the culture around you. Be the light, be the salt. So my simple question, I've been asking it almost every sermon series, what if Jesus wrote us a letter? Like I won't even ask, what if he wrote you a letter? What if he wrote our church a letter, right? Or what if he wrote like the churches in America a letter? Like he picked 50 churches and said, I'm gonna write a letter to them. What, what would Jesus commend the church on? What would Jesus say, you're doing awesome. Keep it up. You're killing it. You're knocking it out of the park. Keep going. And then what would Jesus say, hey, here's some things I have to warn you on. Here's some things that I want to point out in culture that are making you drift. Like, church, don't fall for it. Don't go after all that the culture is propping up as good. Because it's actually slowly leading you astray from following me. So what would those things be that Jesus would put in the letter? Here's the thing that's happening culturally. Church, here's the thing. I'm going to point you back to the Old Testament, point you back to the Scriptures. Like, like the nation of Israel has already had this battle, and they lost. So where would Jesus be pleading with us? Stay true to my name. Stay true to the gospel. Stay true to having me be Lord over everything. What would Jesus want to warn the church about getting entangled in? Consumerism? Individualism? Our egos? The fact that everything has to revolve around us? 
We make ourselves our own little gods. What we say about our sexuality and that discussion going on in culture. What would he say about our tendency to objectify and use that for our own profits within our culture? What would he say about our quest for freedom as one of our ultimate values? What would he say about our obsession with the American dream? What would he say about the church's entanglement into political and social ideologies? I could go on. But in all those areas, what would Jesus be warning us against? Don't get entangled in this. It may look good. You may want to because it furthers your career. You may be tempted. But don't get entangled in it because it's going to slowly draw you away from following me. See, at the end of the day, Jesus calls us to live differently. See what your culture is doing around you? Live differently. Live in such a way that shows that you have a different source that is shaping your mind, your thoughts, your motives, your goals, your dreams, and your purpose. That means work differently. Spend your money differently. Give differently. Love differently. When people look at you and I, they should see Jesus. When people look at our church, they should see Jesus. They should see something different. Now here's the thing, we are all on a journey. And I imagine that that if you look at any one of our lives, you could probably say, well, that doesn't look different than culture at all. Most of our lives look pretty similar to what the rest of the world, the culture, looks like. And I would say that I think I would agree with you for the most part. And I think that's the challenge of the church moving forward, coming out of a Christian culture into a non-Christian culture I believe the church is being called to look like the church in the scriptures more and more every day. Of saying more and more Jesus followers should look different than the rest of culture. It's always been the truth, but I think it's highlighted even more as we become less and less of a Christian culture. And I believe that this is the place, the growth area for most Christians. Right? It's just like these letters. As culture presses up against following Jesus, they have a choice. They can either go along with that or continue following Jesus. We have the same choices as we follow Jesus today. 
in this living culture, is living differently than culture, let me, let me make it very clear. I don't mean that we need to stand outside of culture and just judge it. We, we don't need to stand outside of culture. We're not called to be the referees of our culture, standing there going, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Because the main point is that we are wrong. Like, that's the whole gospel, right? We are wrong. Jesus makes us right and transforms us. So what I would advocate is we don't stand outside of culture, but we stand inside of culture. And we live the way of Jesus. Why? So he can be salt and light. So that when people look at us, they see Jesus. When people look at the church, they see Jesus. In church, we have a long way to go, right? Big C Capital Church. We do too. I invite you to read through the book of 1 Peter. Because in the, first, in the book of 1 Peter, you see a church that is learning how to live within a culture that is hostile to it. And Peter writes things like, you are a chosen holy people. The church is the chosen, the holy people. And you are to live such good lives among the pagans that when people notice the way that you live, they notice Jesus. He says things like, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope and the reason of why you live. By the way, do this with gentleness and respect. And in 1 Peter 3, 7 through 15, he gives this beautiful kind of end to the chapter. Where he basically talks about how to live as Christians. How to live in such a way that yes, you are living differently than the culture, even though you are within the culture, but you're living in such a way where people notice because nobody else is living like that what would that mean for you and I to live that way church we need to wake up it's why we're going through these letters we need to wake up Wake up to Jesus. Wake up to the Holy Spirit transforming us, moving among us. We need to learn how to live and think differently in this world for the sake of the gospel. We're going to take communion this morning. Paul, when he's remembering back to the Last Supper, says this, For I have received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, 
After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. See, this is one of the practices as the church that centers us. Right? That centers us on Jesus. And every time we do it, we proclaim who he is to each other and to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your opportunity to gather and read scripture and worship. And Jesus, we ask that you continue to guide us, transform our hearts and minds as we follow you in this world. As we are called to be light and salt. In your name we pray. Amen. For communion, anybody is welcome if you call Jesus Lord and Savior. Uh, Let's come down the middle aisle, grab the bread and the cup, and then go back to your seat and take it when you are ready. Let's begin.